This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Disaster Girls. It is I, your co-host, Jordan Gershiola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. And as we do here, you know, not a lot of preamble before we, we are not alone in the room. We have a special guest for one of, for my money, one of the most special movies we will ever talk about on this podcast. And I will kick it straight over to guest and say, guest, introduce yourself and tell us the jewel that you have brought for us to talk about today. Hi, this is Jean, also known as Fangirl Jean, and we're going to talk about Pacific Rim. Oh, yes. So pure, so good. Mm -hmm. Just like America didn't get this movie like they should have. Oh, right. Like it was because we love robots. We love monsters. And this was a robots and monsters movie done extremely well by one of the preeminent monster filmmakers of modern day cinema. And it just was like, I did, I remember when it came out and it like, it did, it did well enough, but it was like, why isn't this doing like Transformers numbers? Like what's going on? Like this movie is, this movie is fucking perfect and family friendly. Like what, what did you all miss that, that didn't bring you to the theater? Well, I will, I will, I will definitely easy answer. Okay. Americans need for their fantasy to be serious, which usually requires, you know, important people to die, Mm -hmm. it to be really depressing or for sexual violence to happen to women. Okay, sure. Okay. You know, I mean, look at the X-Men franchise. I love Mm -hmm. it. But like they're like it's at or or even like, you know, I mean, I think I, I was just talking to somebody else about Thor Ragnarok and like oh right I, like I love the Thors are my favorite Marvel subset because they are the most delightful. Yeah, right? in fucking dark world, man. Like as long as you give me my Thor friends, I'm gonna have a great time at a movie. Yeah, right? everyone looks like they're having a great time doing it and being there with Thor. I mean, in Dark World, he hangs a Mjolnir on a coat rack and breaks the coat rack. That's some funny shit. And that is so beautiful. It is charming as hell. Yeah. Which is weird because Thor is not like normally a whimsical, charming character in the in the books. Which is part of like, first off, like he should be because like anybody (laughs) who is any familiarity with Scandinavian culture, they seem serious until you actually get to know them. And that goes for the lore as well. That it is wacky and super gay and drag queen stuff everywhere. (laughs) To be fair, it does depend on the comic run. There are some. True. Somewhere is a real goofball. (laughs) And all of the new Loki stuff, like Agent of Asgard is hilarious. I mean, like he gets busted writing his own, I think Avengers fan fiction. Yeah. Like he gets in trouble with the the American government. So was Pacific Rim too good hearted then for Mm. us to embrace? I think it was too good hearted. I think it was too funny. Like, cause mm-hmm. there are jokes, there are sight gags. Yes. That 
I know I could feel like, you know, Americans being like, what? You know, with some <laughs> of the, and I'm like, no, like, and I, I definitely feel like that it, it has a sensibility, which I think people could accept with like, I mean, cause remember Hellboy, people weren't sure how to deal with it. it yeah. It's a huge cult classic now. Yeah. A lot of people love it, but when it came out, they just weren't sure what to do with that yeah. sensibility. And I remember when I first, and I like my favorite Batman are the Schumacher Batman movies. Like I, <laughs> but like even when, even when, um, God, anybody who tells me Uma Thurman didn't understand the assignment as Poison Ivy is full of shit. Like then oh. they didn't watch that movie correctly. But even when Hellboy, I remember when Hellboy first came out, I watched it, I was like, I don't know how to like, this is like not weird because I don't like weird things. I I'm a, I'm a genre of lifetime fan, but it was just like, there were the tones and the aesthetic altogether. That was really my first like onslaught of fantasy Guillermo del Toro. And I didn't know what to do with it. And so I thought I didn't like it that much. And then I watched it a little later on down the line. I was like, Oh, I fucking love Hellboy. Like Hellboy's wonderful and exactly what it's supposed to be. But I, I thought robots fighting monsters would that common denominator would overcome these hurdles for us with Pacific Rim. But so, and yet I would say like as someone who I, I it was fine when I watched it the first time and the second time watching it again, just now, it was never one that I was going to revisit and watching Uh it again just now. I was like, Oh no, I like this much more. And I think a big part of that is because the movie doesn't follow the standard. Like there's something really, one of the things that's always like, safe and nice about a lot of these movies that we watch is that it's sort of like getting on the one of the rides at Disneyland that in Fantasyland where like you just go through and you see all the little different scenes and you're like oh I know what comes next because I've seen this movie so I know (laughs) and this doesn't have that feeling where you're not entirely it doesn't follow the same it follows the same like archetypical blueprint Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the same feeling as you're watching it that a lot of these other movies do. And so I think to a degree, like the unpredictability of it, even though it is deeply predictable in a lot of ways, like, you know, what's going to be happening, you know, that they're going to fight the monster. It's not going to work the first time. And like, but there's something else about the movie that because you don't have those set, like, I know exactly where this is going comfort. Yeah. It, you can't latch onto it in that weird primal way for some people, at least I didn't Mm -hmm. until the second viewing. I was like, okay, I know where this is going. And man, this is great. Like, it's a great journey to get there. Mm-hmm. And and truly Idris Elba's today we're canceling the apocalypse is actually one of the great leader speeches to me of all time. I- iconic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> iconic. Talk about someone who absolutely understood the assignment. Yeah. And, and <laughs> him in yeah. that film. I'm like, yes. Uh, well, oh my God. I think the other, the thing with Pacific Rim too, uh, is that it, I think it, it's difficult for uh, audiences that are used to being able to zero in on a very specific protagonist. Yes. Okay. And I think that's it was, true. Like, and I, I, I think, you know, I mean, like, I, if you know anything about uh, Del Toro's like past with Hollywood, it's been Rocky Mimic. Mm-hmm. There's a whole mm-hmm. story behind uh, the studio screwing him over with that. Um, and I do wonder when I watch films like this, like if there are things that are happening behind the scenes because yeah. 
that film, everything, the way that it's, you know, structurally introduces you to the first character, you know, the first character typically that you hear or you see is your Mm -hmm. protagonist in most, especially most American films. Mm. Um, And the first character that we're introduced with, who seems to be our narrator too, is Raleigh, who's the white Mm -hmm. dude, right? Right, yeah, yeah. But emotionally speaking... This story is all about Mako. Yeah. Mako! He's uh, and I'm like, and I I rewatching it again, I'm struck again where I'm like, I feel like he wrote this movie about her. Yeah. But then the studio is like, we need to yeah. have a dude in here. And it feels like Del Toro would. Like yeah. it, it feels like that's right? absolutely like short of short of making it from the POV of a straight up kaiju, as as Guillermo definitely would, it would yeah. be from the point of view of Mako. That would be the character that he would find the avatar in. Yeah. She gets the better backs, like we get we she literally get gets to see back, her backstory. backstory. Yeah, yeah, he gets a quick like, ooh, it's complicated, like sad yeah. dude moment. Yeah, yeah. But like her and the whole arc, and I'll go in nerd deep about how the whole arc is much more about her than him. Sure. <laughs> but I definitely feel like that was a part of the problem for you know a larger audience. I mean, for me, whenever I'm trying to recommend it to somebody that I think will like it, I always right off the bat just go. It's a live action anime. Got it. Because everything that somebody would nitpick about a live action movie absolutely would forgive it with an anime. You know, weird kind of explanatory dialogue that doesn't really (laughs) need to be there, but it is there. Right, right. Anime. Like, you know, odd visual jokes in the middle of a giant fight in a city anime like well, you know. I think I'm, I'm only I'm only so tiny bit familiar with anime I'm, I'm wanting to like get into it more I accidentally watched what I'm pretty sure is going to be my favorite anime of all time the first time I watched anything it was Kill La Kill and oh, I'm just chase yeah. I'm chasing that high forever since then but what I've noticed even in just like as being somebody who is new to it to like dipping a toe in it's so much more emotional than anything we associate sort of with cartoons here like and not that Pixar is an emotional not that our Disney movies aren't emotional but the idea of like the amount of like pathos in these stories and like the sort of intense like watching Evangelion that's not like watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon kind of situation no. yeah like, and like-, <laughs> and like watching Death Note and watching like things that are plumbed and this notion that like you know for people who don't watch it <clears throat> the idea of like you know people who are still dicks about like what are these you know, like fucking adults arguing about comic book movies and like associating like anime for kids because it's animated and like no these are uh, these are grown up things that just are in a different format other than live action so they are as emotionally intense and evocative and sometimes like they're one a thing I I've really liked about my my journey into anime is how on the nose I find a lot of things are like I find a lot of yeah. on the nose like you said exposition and dialogue to like like what if it were if it weren't done well it would be like corny but it just like work like it works as a part of the 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 format the structure and like there is there is such a sincerity i feel like to that format at times and then there's such a deep sincerity to del toro like there's nothing cynical about this movie and you might show up for it i guess thinking you're going to get like a cynical like michael bay robot movie mm-hmm. and then you're going to be hit with all of this sincerity and you're like, fuck, it's so genuine. I don't know what to do. Right. Like, and <clears throat> what I think is interesting is a lot of American media, um, especially like post-World War II, definitely in the fifties was um, very much like a cafeteria tray where yeah. everything has its own little spot. And when you yeah. look at cultures like, uh, you know, definitely 
Japanese anime and kaiju films as well. Um, but also like Del Toro's work comes right out of Mexico. You you yeah. you have that a lot with uh, Mexican literature, especially of where there is no there's no real line or deviation, which I think comes from having um, a, a stronger connection with you know cultural roots. You know where mm-hmm. America has a lot of very you know colonialism. It's all about kind of whitewashing, even people coming from you know predominantly white cultures. Um, and we everything- just we don't have that rich of a. Tra- tradition with like myth. And I think too, I I think, you know, amidst all of this, like amidst all of the sort of the confusing things for an American audience to Pacific Rim, few filmmakers have figured out exactly what to do with Charlie Hunnam. And I think instinctually Mm -hmm. when we see Charlie Hunnam, we don't really know what to do with him. And so I think the, I like Charlie Hunnam in this. I think he's doing a really good job, but I think it's sort of like a, like Rinko Kikuchi makes sense here and, and Idris Elba makes sense. And, and like, I feel like we're, we're sort of piecing together in our minds the entire time. Well, like, Charlie Hunnam. This was during that time where they were trying to find a new strong jaw lined man. Yeah. So this yeah. was also like yeah. during the Garrett H- Headland, uh, you know, supremacy period of like, oh, we're going to put him in Tron. Cause that'll yeah. be a place where he'll work. Like we just need a white man <laughs> yeah. with a strong jawline. Right. Who are we going to go? Like, let's go to the farm. Uh-huh. Well, and I have a solution when we get to the recasting okay. right, oh, conversation okay. because, um, but yeah, no. And I think, um, I think the difficulty too, like uh, again came with that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he has the energy of a leading man No, that, you know, his agent wants him to have. And I, but as a secondary supporting character, mm-hmm. he was great. And like, yeah. you know, yeah. but like, there's a reason there's a whole meme about, you know, get you somebody who looks, you know, at you, like uh, Raleigh looks at Mako because right. like yeah, every yeah. scene, he's just like, oh, you're made of stardust and rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> and he which does is a great like, job of that. Yeah, which, which is yeah, like which is what, what I want a man there to do is yeah. to make Mako be as awesome as, like look as awesome as she is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, while not really dealing with any of his man pain because we don't really need it. No. Right? Yeah. Mm, In retrospect, yeah. you know, he would have been a great, dream casting by the way for if we were recasting um rogue and we needed to recast the, <laughs> oh, the, the cro- your crocodile movie no 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 rogue the the megan fox one yeah oh the, the megan the, fox the lion one. one yeah oh love. yeah as the secondary and it, jordan's just mouthing love you're because of her right. enthusiasm for you're this right. film but he yeah, he would have been he a good, worked for that. He would have worked for that because like Charlie Hunnam is a great <laughs> TV actor. I've loved him. I like when he was, yeah. I've, I've had a thing for him since you gotta live with Charlie Hunnam. You got to get him for the long haul. Well, he on undeclared. He was great. That was his first thing when everyone was like, oh, is this a Heath Ledger? But not also, by the way, let him use. I love accent. that you were like, I yes. love that you just said, I love Charlie Hunnam on TV and then didn't say Sons of Anarchy. No, <laughs> like, I love Charlie I Hunnam on TV. No, declared is I'm, like, I'm just oh, showing wow, how far back we go he and i go back pretty far she's flashing her cred yeah i'm just showing my hunnam cred here i mean yes he's great in sons of anarchy i love seeing (laughs) i love seeing the gifs of his butt like i'm not gonna argue this at all he's fantastic great butt acting but um yeah as a movie actor it's just (laughs) it's a lot you're asking look australia has i think one jawline export at this point and that would be chris hemsworth my God. Like if you're going to, if you're going to, you get one, every country gets one jawline export and it's Chris Hemsworth for Australia for this generation. I'm sorry. Isn't Hunnam British? 
Is he? I think Charlie Hunnam's Australian. I think is he's he? Australian. I think he's Australian. Let's, no, I'm going to settle this. I would also this. argue because, part of the problem is this man media. is not allowed to use his accent. No, I mean, she's right. Newcastle upon Tyne, yeah, United Kingdom. Because yeah. oh, he was in the, the original Queer as Folk, which oh, if you have not right, seen that and you like his butt. Good yes, no, I've seen that. those. I've seen those too. <laughs> those gifs as well with him with Aiden Gillum. Yep. Very right? good. Very yeah. good. I, I, again, Two two shows we've talked about for Charlie Hunnam now, and neither of them. <laughs> One of those Sons of Anarchy. Although <laughs> I, I think Sons of Anarchy are, is 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 a great example of him being a great supporting character. Okay, so I can't tell the difference between British accents and Australian accents. No, in I my was head fully with memory. you, yeah. Amanda. I thought he was Australian because, like, even when so when he debuted on Undeclared, everyone was like, "Look at new Heath Ledger over here." So in my head, I'm just like, "Ah, oh, he's British. He's he's Australian." No, and I was what totally- is. And what is Australian if not British, but with a tan? But with a yeah, but with a fine tan. But with yeah. a fine, fine tan and more beer. Yeah. And a little bit of Dutch in there, I believe. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask your first Pacific Rim viewing experience, were you like, I'm all in? Well, I was all in when I saw the trailer and I okay. saw that the the elbow jets on yep. the mech, I was like. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm from in the from the using from the using <laughs> like a shipping container as a bat. Oh my god! I was like, there oh, was I, an actual container opening. ship. Container is, ship. Container, container ship. Ship is a bat. Yeah, it was like, oh, I'm opening weekend, opening day. Like, yes, right. yes, no, absolutely. I was, I was, I was easy. I, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. a, a big kaiju fan. Um, as a, as a young child, I grew up in Hawaii, which um, you know, back in the paleolithic era of the 80s (laughs) um we got a lot of asian television stations and media and so i grew up on like you know original uh what is it it's uh sensei uh basically what uh what like the power rangers was a oh yeah yeah grew up on those grew up on kaiju films grew up on like a lot of uh samurai films and stuff as well so like that i've been wanting like big Affects blockbuster stuff and also in the era of Robotech as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, so this movie was like everything my childhood heart wanted with effects that still hold up to this day. They truly yeah, do. They look they good. Truly do. Man, having kaiju attack predominantly at night is such a good hack. Yeah, like what a what a clever and move. Bioluminescence used really well. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I a thing I a thing is like for the reality index of this movie I I think it's it's the it's the del Toro factor mm-hmm. he makes a world you believe every inch of yeah. that fe- it feels so real it feels so authentic and just sort of as soon as you you know as somebody really liked this movie as soon as we start in with like the wall being fucking destroyed yeah and you just like, I feel like you immediately get the sense of what you're dealing with. And you're like, this is where we are now. This is how the world has changed. There's a portal to another dimension. And yeah, like, I guess I I, I buy it. I'm all in. And then, and like the, the Beth, to me, like the, the detail that brings it home is the extremely adorable names of the Jaegers. Like, yeah. Gypsy danger. Well, so well, that, that okay. Is the so that is that's name. the unfortunate one. <laughs> yeah, that is the that is the unfortunate. But G I P S Y doesn't make it better. No, it doesn't make it better. But like, let's just shout that out. Like, let's let's just be aware of gypsy danger. Yeah, ju- like just the like 
what is it? I mean, they're all they're all like you know they I love racist that- crimson typhoon. That is like- my reality index. I love that each country has its own person. It's like oh, we need to give it a name that will let us know which one is associated with which country. So we've got Cherno Alpha for Russia. Cherno Alpha with like yep. two of Ivan Drago's children piloting right? it. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And then for America, they're like, what if we just name this big robot a slur? Right, yeah. right. Well, and <laughs> so one of the things that it like plays into when we get into the whole what is this movie actually about mm-hmm. scenario is that like the Jaegers are very obviously like the whole uh like aesthetic of of you know the film is that this yeah. is um a re a, a kind of a re a neo version of a, a World War II film. Mm-hmm. These are fighter pilots, and mm-hmm. this is actually what you know. In World War II, bombers yeah. and stuff were named these fun, fancy names, yeah. these yeah. silly names, and that is absolutely a kind of terrible slur name that would have been, na- you know, a oh, bomber 100%. and whatnot would have been named. I mean, the only, uh, like, the more American it could have gotten if it was, like, Big Tits McGee or something <laughs> like that was the name of, of, of her. I mean, the fact that yeah. they definitely call her a her yeah. and, you yeah. know, and all that, yeah. It was, yeah, it was missing the cheesecake painting on the side of like, (laughs) like straight up the side of the, of the Jaeger, just having, uh, you know, Pam Anderson pose. Yeah. Like on a Jaeger thigh. Right. Yeah. Although you will notice on, um, on Herc and, and, um, uh, the Hanson, the uh, Chuck and Herc's, uh, their suits, Mm -hmm. they have, uh, Kaiju stamps for every kill. Yep. Yeah. Just like you would have had on the side of it. Yeah. I love it. I love that. No, I love that detailing. It's I can't believe Striker Eureka isn't spelled with a Y. Right? <laughs> like, can't believe they missed that opportunity. Yeah. And like the like d- the drift, like the 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 whole like the drift. Yeah. The, the drift. Like there's something about that that in like the fact that when Raleigh goes down with his brother, like fighting was it knife head in, in yeah. like in the, in the, in the great white North, in like the, the Arctic somewhere he like it is, he loses his brother and this like drives him from being like a Jaeger pilot, but also like the tax of drifting alone once yeah. his brother is dead. Like the yeah. idea of like drifting with your dead brother and being psychically linked to him in that moment. That is, that is the kind of shit Guillermo del Toro will bring to your monster movie. Right. Yeah. And like, like the drift is like such um, a, a thing that I love about fantasy and science fiction where they take something that is, uh, you know, intangible and, or like a, a metaphor and make it an actual technology or thing. Yeah. And essentially um, the neural handshake is a, a, you know, a sci-fi form of empathy and compassion for yeah. another person where you feel you know, you see their life, you feel their emotions mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, and it's pretty brutal of the idea that he actually experienced his brother's death Yeah, through his he brother's perspective dying. when it happened. Yeah. yeah. He experienced dying and, um, yeah. Yeah. I just want to, I want to shout out how great, like on reality index terms, you can get real hit and miss with a, when a, when a film like this or any fantasy film is trying to create their own terminology. Yeah. And neural handshake is such a cool fucking phrase. It's so good. I love it. So, <laughs> every time they say initiating neural handshake, and I'm like, yes, do it. Neural oh, handshake. Yeah. Yeah, the, that shit's they, fucking dope. It's so cool. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> the AI uh, voice performance yeah. too was just like not overwhelming, but uh-huh. it definitely was like, yes, no, nope, that's exactly. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, was, and even like the 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 um the tiny bits of exposition about mm-hmm. like why you had to have two pilots and all that yeah beautiful loved it I, I, yeah neural handshake I'm gonna start calling it that whenever like a friend and I text each other same time it'll be like oh we initiated the neural headshake handshake yeah that or like if you like someone sends you a meme and you total mm-hmm. like how you feel and they send you a meme of exactly how you feel yeah you got like, the neural handshake yeah exactly. And I just like it, this, you know, with like you said, like creating that vernacular and just the 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 deep the the attention to every little detail. And like our character, there are so many wonderful supporting characters in this, including, of course, the two kaiju experts, uh, Newton Geisler and Hermann Gottlieb. Uh, and like Idris Elba's character goes by Pentecost. Like the names, these there is no missed opportunity for naming anything in this movie. And I really appreciate that. It makes me, it makes me care even more because like in this, it's, it seems like it's kind of one of those like future hybridization, hybridized worlds where yeah. every like cultures have blended like Hannibal Chow, I yeah, think right. is Ron Perlman's character. That yep. is yep. like where there it's like the sort of cross-cultural maw has created this sort of like, you know, this Blade Runner-esque landscape. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, I was talking to a friend last night about like na- like naming a fictional character in something and how like the name Clark came up and like perfectly legitimate name. But like when you've got a swing to take Clark. Yeah. Right. Like Come that's on. the thing. It's so hard to name characters normally. So I love that they just were like, now we're going to just go. Just we're not go we're, nuts. We're going right. Nuts. Even with New- the white characters like yeah. Raleigh and Hercules. And Yan- Yancey, yeah. Yancey <laughs> was the original. It was the brother's name. Yes. Yancey. 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 Oh my God. You're right. Yeah. No, no, and, they, and they like I think I think part like there's definitely like the, the Japanese, the anime and uh, influence. But I also feel like. Um, there is an aspect of all of their names and even to some extent their uh, performances where these are these are legends. This yeah. feels like folklore that's going to be told to us yeah. about these mm-hmm. great heroes that saved the earth from the kaijus kind of, you know. No, it's true. Like it, it makes it, it makes it legend. You're right. It, it, <clears throat> it presumes the legendary status of all the characters involved from the jump yeah. and create and, and gives them character names that would befit a myth that you would pass down in oral tradition. Right. And abs- like, and Hercules Hanson. Hercules <laughs> Hanson. Um, and like uh, Idris Elba's Stacker Pentecost, like especially. Stacker Pentecost. <laughs> so what, just think about for a second about that, that in this world, presumably a mother held a newborn baby in her arms and went, oh, this looks like a stacker. Yeah. Right. My That's- baby Pentecost is stacker Pentecost. Stacker Pentecost. You'll you'll do great things as an accountant, little stacker. <laughs> <laughs> but like in everything he says feels yeah. like it's something that, you know, should be like put on a motivational poster <laughs> yes. like and oh like oh my gosh when when raleigh grabs him to argue with him and mm-hmm. does he does the whole first thing don't ever touch me second thing don't ever touch me yeah. <gasps> oh it's perfect <laughs> i love that idris came into this and was like i'm gonna i'm gonna be in this movie but a couple rules one i'm using my voice my original accent yeah i'm not putting on any other accents for you and two i'm acting in two modes menacing whisper or screaming at people. 
That's it. That's all you're getting from me. Don't try to get me a different line reading. Don't do anything. It's menacing whisper or it's intimidating shouting. And it works so well for the character. Like, I'm on board. With a small side of restrained British emotion. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Because every time he has a moment with Mako, it's like, oh, he's not saying anything. He doesn't need to because he should just have a cup of tea in his hands where he's just sternly loving her. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I, I, I love how this movie gets right into it. And then like, it kind of just, it gives me, it, it hits or sort of all of my receptors for what I would want for a movie like this. We've got, we, you know, we get our, our great training sequences. Oh, yeah. We get like the fact that we get, it's such a cool thing about this movie with being in sort of the, the con and being like within the Jaeger and, and, and in the drift is that it makes the, it extends the action sequences to inside of the chambers of the Jaegers themselves. So yeah. even when you're like cutting away to the robot pilots, it's still really exciting because of the intricacy of drifting and operating a Jaeger. You get to like, it, it, there's still such a sense of wonder just watching these people operate the Jaegers, even when you're not watching them swing container ships like bats at Kaiju. Well, and it was, that's such a great choice to me because I mean, the time in which this film came out, they could have easily gone like the Iron Man route. Yeah. Of just, you know, everything's, you know, CGI. Oh, hold on. Okay, I'm coming. Um, so like the uh, the fact that the world itself is mix of analog sure. and yeah. digital was it, it was a fascinating choice, but I, like you said, I think it it, it grounded <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, it felt tactile. <laughs> because like I think, you know, Pacific Rim, um, so like my deeper, you know, super nerdy analysis of the film is if you look at um all of the, you know, the majority of the major players and you look at the origins of the, so the origins of the genre of Kaiju is post-World War II, Mm -hmm. um, post-Hiroshima, Japan. And that that it definitely was a a metaphor for the destructive power of, of both that bombing, but just like how war you know, ravages Mm -hmm. and leaves it. And, and that there is a, a kind of, um, helplessness which i think definitely feeds it uh into a lot of the unification spirit that happens in japan i know you know some people would remember when the um when the typhoon hit and there was a lot of news coming out about you know a, a a kind of communal spirit that like a lot of americans for sure didn't um were stunned by but I definitely think that that uh you, that type of idea especially within the genre of like mechs in anime is a mm-hmm. definite uh, yeah. theme of like coming together and so for me watching this I was like okay we got fired pilots we've got and then to me the central character is a Japanese girl who is essentially a war orphan yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that we have the whole story really uh you know forming around her to help her to get to this point where she could actually go from a place of feeling helpless to the, uh, the, you know, like larger than life power that wrecked her world and her country yeah. and going and essentially sealing a breach. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally yeah. and sealing a breach and like, and that the whole idea around this story, which I think is 
part of why it's kind of difficult for um, American audiences to connect with this because it is about people to coming together, nations coming together and working together. And it's a difficult, you know, that is a reality and index that I don't think a lot of people can key into because American culture is so much more about individualism. Right, yeah. right. And wanting that one hero. And to this, especially when you get through each one of the characters, um, that's what all of these men's arcs are about. Like Raleigh's arc isn't about like getting back in that Jaeger. It's about find being the co-pilot. Yeah. Yeah. It's about finding his co-pilot. And Stacker's his whole arc is about getting, you know keeping her safe, but like, and keeping herself by sealing the breach and by ending yeah. this. But at the end, like, he's not the one that ends it. Yeah. It's, it, you know, he's the one that clears the way for the lady, <laughs> you know, right? And like, I felt like that is a type of storytelling that we rarely get of when you actually look at it, everybody's there for her arc yeah. and yeah. for her healing. Well, she gets that, she gets that the hero's entrance that nobody, like that her entrance moment is if if you just showed like that's that's the hero that's not a love interest moment that's yeah. Rose on the deck of the tight like looking up at the <laughs> Titanic for the first time yes the like that when you get that that swoop around to her under the under the umbrella and uh, under the umbrella god that's such a good look it's oh, such right. a good look and her Ooh. face is illuminated against like the black of the umbrella and I did in my notes I was specifically like I love a dramatic reveal that was some rose hat and titanic shit yes, absolutely <laughs> and it's it, like that is that's a hero's reveal right there it really is and like if anything the one thing that I kind of mourn with this movie is the missed opportunity to have her as the central character because of the fact that there's so much there's so much more there that we could have gotten with her and there's so much depth that we could have gotten with her um and they never i feel like go deeply enough into for raleigh because that is like the idea that he's lived through death once and how does that change a person and yeah. like he lost his brother who he had a bond with that was deeper than just a brother bond they've been each all these different there's so many nuances to it um, I mean, as we've seen, this is a bond that's between siblings, can between fathers and sons, and apparently can between people, like between lovers. And like, that's, we don't ever get to plumb the depths of that with him, mm -hmm. which is also a loss. Um, and I, but of the two, I just so much, I mean, like, Maka, like, come on, <laughs> look at her. I want right. a backstory on her blue tips to her hair. Like, <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't feel like frivolity. It feels like there's a reason. There's for a reason. There's a purpose tips. that she has done that. That requires maintenance, and she has made that decision. Yeah, she's a woman of intention. So, so yeah, it's just. Yeah, I, I like, I, I had plenty of fun with Pacific Rim too. It, it's much more directly a, a children's movie, like a children's action movie, which I don't have a problem with. Like commit to that choice. The only, like, I just, I just wanted, I wanted a continuation of Pacific Rim one. Cause I wanted, I wanted more of them. Like, I wanted more Mako. Like I wanted Mako's full on fucking movie. Are they and not didn't... Pacific Rim two? What was that? Are you talking about Pacific Rim two, right? Yeah. Oh, Pacific Rim yeah. two. Yeah. Oh no, they're not all, oh, you don't know. <laughs> No, I've never seen it because I was like, eh, Pacific Rim 1 was oh, yeah, fine. It, I don't need to it do just, two. It's like, a, it's more like, it feels more like a spinoff. And okay. it, it's more like a, it, it, it's more like a children's kind of, like there's a, a child is, it, it's a child and John Boyega are the two center, like, oh, okay. characters it, of it. It has a great premise because they yeah. have the girl is like literally puts together her own mini Jaeger herself. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. But, but it's like, a, it's, it's a movie that would revolve around a girl who would build her own Jaeger kind of yeah. thing. 
So that's, okay. and that's just a, again, in my not- head, it just completely, it neural handshaked with um, Independence Day 2 <laughs> featuring again, Garrett Headland. where in my head, I was just like, those are both things that I don't need in in my yeah, brain. it's not even like it, it, it's it's again it, it's like within the universe of Pacific Rim exists yeah. Pacific Rim too. Okay, and I don't have a problem with how they did their thing because sure, that's just a little something different. But like, I just wanted so much to see Mako more. Yeah. Like, I just wanted so much to to give Mako like a full on adventure and and like you said, get into those things that because that you just want more of like that you want, you want the backstory on backstory of everything that Mako's doing. Yeah. I want, I want to explore. i just, there was so much more Mako that we could have gotten and we don't really start to get into her until she has that fight sequence with Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Which I love that or with Raleigh. And I love that, love that fight sequence. Cause you don't understand the rules of this fight until she starts. I think that's a brilliant bit of like construction that we don't know how these fights work and like how yeah. this is assessment works until we see the two of them doing it. And then we're like, oh, that's what it's supposed to be. Right. It's not supposed to be Charlie Hunnam beating dudes with sticks <laughs> and doing fancy lightsaber sword moves. Like, right, right. It's supposed to be this tactical sort of chess match. And I love that. Um, I just, I love that we get that, but then yeah I just there's yeah like I mean the best fight scenes the best fight scenes are storytelling scenes like right there there are things where you learn about the characters within them and I love a I love a gratuitous fight scene as much as the next person but this like imbues that scene with so much of the substance that it that it needs to have in a movie like this where you're gonna have to sort of get character development in places where there's gonna be a lot of bombast or a lot of sort of extra going on also just to be on brand it was sexy as fuck it was super sexy absolutely as well. yeah. it is like, a sexy fight sequence yes. full disclosure i'm a huge mako raleigh shipper sure. and i was really angry when we didn't get a kiss at the end no i yeah. personally and i love i loved that mako and raleigh did not kiss at the end if for no other reason than to be like listen don't distract me with this yeah like like we like you've you've been you've been you've been bringing these people together this whole time like in a second movie if we had gotten second movie like mako mm-hmm. raleigh i would have been like okay i'm in but first movie i was like don't you dare try and put a kiss in at the end of this. and they didn't i was like oh thank god yeah well, they it- followed the high school musical rules and i appreciate <laughs> right? like like and I, like I, I I think like I get like I wanted a kiss, but I'm fine with a kiss because without a kiss, because a kiss would have made her his love interest when in fact he's yeah. actually her love interest. I yes, I think that's mm-hmm. exactly like it almost was just like don't it, it felt like it would have even though she is a woman with autonomy and age and she clearly is like into Raleigh, it would yeah. have made it would have subordinated things that had happened up to that point in a way that would have been like, no, don't do that. Don't make this, don't, don't retroactively make this about like their like lust for one another. Like, no, no, no. Let them just like be friends and look at each other in their, in their ocean bound, in their ocean bound vessel right now. They also have like, I mean, it also emphasizes the depth of the bond. Yeah. Because yes, as you said, like Raleigh looks at her the whole time, like she's made a stardust and it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you never, I, you don't get a full feel that they're like, because the movie, the one thing, because the movie doesn't really have much interest in Raleigh as a character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it truly doesn't. And so you don't get to really watch the evolution of their non, like you accept that there's a bond there because they have the neural handshake, but you don't get these moments. You don't get the romance moments that yeah. like 
because for Jordan, the, you are to action movies as I am to romance like yeah, movies exactly. and novels. And so for me, like you need, there's certain, there's like, there are things that, you know, as a, as a, someone who loves a rom-com and loves a romance movie, like there are the certain markers that we don't get in this film, which I am super fine with. Yeah. But also you can't then turn around. It does turn her into a prize if you're not going to give us those moments. Yeah. Don't, versus, don't, don't make up. Don't think you can make up for it at the end with yeah. like a one shot kiss and be yeah. like, Oh, all, we didn't need all those other things you have to have to build up to this moment because we gave you the the kiss, the big moment. That's okay, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, so it makes it deeper than that because it's not even it's the relief that the other half of her brain has survived. It's not like oh, this person whose whose dick I want to see is alive. It's, yeah. it's deeper than that. <laughs> Although I will say that there are scenes that I feel like were edited that should have been longer, like the scene mm-hmm. where they end up. Like after she has like the bad flashback, it only almost, you know, blows away the whole yeah. uh, thing with the cannon and they're both, they have the awkward l- school lunchroom moment <laughs> yeah. and then they go outside and they're talking about the the Jaeger and I'm like, everything about how that's edited and the mm-hmm. dialogue, I'm like, this was a longer scene. And every time he talks about the Jaeger, he's talking about her. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and those were those, like, that's where I'm like that, because I am a huge action and romance fan. Yes. Ah, and there were so many times yeah. throughout the film where characters are referring to the Jaeger when they're really talking about Mako. And <laughs> And, and, and absolutely, like, especially like, uh, I mean, if people could be talking about a Jaeger when they're talking about me, I would take that as a objectifying substitute. As long as it's a Jaeger. Keep your flowers, keep your chocolates, name a Jaeger after me. (laughs) I'll marry you. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, yeah, Jordan, Jordan danger. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'll take it. But like, even the, um, like, uh, From the time that he arrives, sorry, we got a backup peanut gallery here. Yeah, um, that's great. <laughs> um, but like when he, oh, yep, secondary character, but he starts the path of trying. Hold to on, prove I'm going to pause you for a second. It paused the the signal cut out. You it cut out from when he and then yeah, came you in said at when he arrives cam- and then it locked. And, we, and then we locked until secondary character. Okay. Okay. So, um, so from the moment he arrives and she gets that hero entrance. Um, <laughs> Like that, I feel is the moment when he becomes a secondary character and everything he's doing is to prove himself to be worthy to co-pilot with her. Right, right. And that is really the set. This is why I I completely believe the original script had her as the lead. Yeah. Because that fight scene was all about him proving him. Like he didn't care about those other people. Yeah. He was upset because she kept making looks at each, after each about mm-hmm. that he had and then she challenges him like it's not their problem it's you that's the problem and I'm like <laughs> oh like everything about this yeah yeah see, you're, to- is- you're totally right like there, there is definitely a feel that there's stuff that was edited like I would love to see this is a long ass movie I would take the director's <laughs> cut in a heartbeat I don't care give me the four hour gear four hours yeah right? if we're like, doing that now if we're doing that now then yeah. let's get serious here yeah, give me I because it's not as if they're gonna need to do a ton of additional like they don't there's obviously not sequences missing with with the monster with the kaiju. We're just missing sequences of Mako like having heart to hearts with Raleigh, and I will take that. <laughs> right, like the whole like like perfunctory dick fighting thing with Chuck Hansen. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have in the recasting, I have a solution for fixing that, but like it's unnecessary and it's wasted screen time that could Mm -hmm. be spent on developing the relationship between Raleigh and Mako, which is 
Yes. Well, yeah, no, I do have that. in my notes specifically how many sequences of Charlie Hunnam grappling do we need? Yeah. <laughs> because, like, that sequence, not just because, because of the length of that fight, where you're just like, okay, I get that, like, you guys are thrilled that you had your trainer on site to be able to, like, give him the moves for this, but let's speed this this fight up. Because it doesn't, at, to your point about, like, how every action sequence needs to tell us something, that sequence tells us nothing. <laughs> right we already yeah. knew that he cared about her we already yeah. knew the other dude was threatened by his dick length like we didn't yeah. need to have them have a little bleh, bleh, bleh. um yeah no it was uh, other and we already knew that guy was a dick anyway like right. the, uh, nothing was achieved by that so yeah and we could have had a much better deconstruction mm-hmm. of like the conflict of her mm-hmm. wanting to respect who is essentially her father's wishes. Yeah. While, and that was one thing that I felt like was definitely probably had more going on in the script and didn't get delved into enough, which I feel like, you know, uh, that other, you know, audiences wouldn't under- understand like what her actual conflict was, was not just that she was like controlled by her daddy figure, but she yeah. like yeah. literally has like respecting him and his authority, you know, was an important thing for their relationship. And that I liked that she like, that it wasn't good. Cause for me, like, it, uh, Stecker could, easily fall into the paternal black yes. man cliche yes. right and and I, I think it like I really wish there were more black characters in it to make it feel less like that but yeah. um but I do feel like they they did better than a lot of other ones where he doesn't exist solely for her and he is better than literally everyone else around him. (laughs) Yeah. And he doesn't, there's not a sense of like, he wants, like he has the key to her chastity belt and that's like his driving motivation, which so often with those like paternal, either fully paternal characters or like the substitute characters, the movie kind of ultimately subcutaneously is about him transferring ownership of girl over to hero man. And this movie is not about Pentecost because he's dying of like prolonged radiation exposure. This is not about Pentecost trying to find in his last days a, a steward to take care of Mako. Yeah. Like that, that's not right. his like driving motivation. And it right. so often is in these kinds of like hero setups. And I definitely feel like I might be projecting a, a bit, but for me, uh, like part of that like relationship felt much more like, um, the experience of being a parent of color and and knowing firsthand how horrible and violent the world is and not wanting your children to step into that situation. Right. And that's yeah. where I saw his was less, like you said, about like, I don't, you know, she's my daughter, therefore she's my mm-hmm. surrogate vagina and I yeah. don't want you fucking my vagina. Exactly. Yeah. Rather, it that. was more of like, no, like I, like, I don't want her to be in this place to have to be yeah. experience that violence again. She's already done it before. Yeah. Yeah, and knowing that the and knowing right. that the drift would cause her to possibly relive that trauma again. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, the I think that the yeah. drift. The thing that the drift helps us do is that like it 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 builds in and and with the, the 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 you know the sort of very sensitive eye and heart of 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 Del Toro as the filmmaker is that it does what so many it does what a lot of like action movies that I will fully excuse when I'm watching them, but I understand it makes them like weaker movies for it is that like by the time we're going into the drift and and by the time we're going into the breach and this movie's reaching its thrilling conclusion, 
you feel like the action is really cool. And I will let great action pass, like, like by a passage for almost anything going on on screen. But you also like you're riveted by the end and you're nervous about the end because you care about these people. Like you really there is such an emotional core for each one of them with you and sort of the audience. And if not, because we know a lot about Raleigh, because we know that he loves Mako and we think Mako is great too. Like it gives you enough of each person, even like, even with Charlie Day as insane little Newton. Excuse me, even with Charlie Day was, I would have, I want an entire movie about Newton. Oh my God, Newton. Every fucking moment that Newton was on screen. Newton and Herman are incredible side characters like you get you get the emotional connection you get that like del toro's great at that he made fucking shape of water won an oscar like monster fish man woman sex like he's gonna blur all the boundaries but he will in the same movie be like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna create a neurological link between a man and a kaiju brain and i'm gonna have it drive that man insane and that that is Guillermo del Toro. You get the fucking kitchen sink, but not in a way that feels messy in a way that's like, yeah, let's just have more and do better with it. But also, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like, uh, like I also feel like I love his character, but Newton also mm-hmm. is a, a, a fantastic like um, reflective of the actual scientists that created the atomic bomb. Okay, because, okay. And especially that whole arc about like, um, he didn't think about the fact that a neural yeah. link goes both ways. Right. And he didn't yeah. think about the implications of that. And the second movie explores that somewhat in a bad way. It didn't, I don't think it did it very well, but I definitely think that like, that purposefully was that like we we're supposed to identify with his exuberant fanboyishness about the mm-hmm. and the the exciting aspects of science yeah. and discovery and then have to learn that lesson of like oh shit it's all really cool until a kaiju is like literally licking you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fun and games until yeah that man if i had a nickel Uh, (laughs) one of the things I love about Newton as a character is that they do like, and it's, it's that this is one of those times I'm like, this is the the genius of casting in this case, because this is, I have to believe hundred percent Charlie day that they do completely. We've had the eccentric, insane, a little too much science characters before. Uh huh. But what's great is a little too much science, but What's nice is that we've got, so you've got Charlie Day being like jittery Charlie Day, but also he's the entire time breaking the fourth wall, fully aware of the absurdity around him. When you've got him laugh, when Herman is like, numbers are as close as we get to the handwriting of God, which is such a movie scientist line. And Charlie Day (laughs) fucking laughs and says, what? Just in the background (laughs) as a throwaway. And then later when Herman's like still ranting and Charlie Day is just doing the talking, talking, talking hand motion behind him <laughs> is like just in the blurry in the background. And you just 100 percent get the feeling that Newton is just as aware of how fucking absurd all of this is as we are. <laughs> that is yeah, such not, a- he's not normalized the fact that the, that Kaiju can like at any point like take over our world. He's yeah. still, like 
no, I'm still pretty fucking weirded out by all of this. It's he's so it's such a great character. And that's it's so fun to, and to watch him being because, cynical about it. He never yeah, undermines no. the story. That's why it works. Yeah, no, he's just like, what the fuck is you? There's a, a strong undercurrent of holy shit. I can't believe this is happening, which is a very scientist and like his enthusiasm for it and his tattoos of it. Yeah. Like, show me he is such a biologist. Show me a biologist who doesn't have <laughs> 17 tattoos on their body of right. things that they think are cool. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like every biology paleontologist I've ever met has tattoos of yeah, dinosaurs. But yeah. 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 <laughs> when I was on, on the, on the dig, I, when I was at the paleo, when I was being a paleontologist for a day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, both like one of the paleontology interns had like four distinct Jurassic park tattoos. And so of the course. fact that, yeah, so the fact that, you know, Newton has kaiju on his arms, like, yeah, a fucking course he'd get a kaiju because they look cool as hell. And it's the thing he studies. But also he recognizes that he is stuck with this, like with Dr. Strangelove over here yeah. <laughs> who speaks exclusively in metaphor. Well, and I, I would argue, too, that he represents a kind of, of well, not cynical, desensitized. <laughs> yes. Let me say that again desensitized aspect of culture that we see in the beginning part of mm -hmm. the uh, exposition of the movie where after all these attacks we have kaiju toys and kaiju seekers yeah. and all these things which absolutely yeah. is like oh that's reality index 100 oh, completely the yeah. merchandising of this is 100 percent what would happen how far into covid before we started getting little stuffed toys of a covid19 like oh, there like are covid19 yeah there are covid19 plushies that people have like that did not take long there is a covid romance of course in there which is a woman has a romance with the covid virus wait yeah no like and, and wait, not a chuck process. is that is that a chuck tingle it or is, is not a chuck tingle oh my god but it is on kindled unlimited kindled unlimited if you want to check it out it is yeah. the romance is with covid i believe it's like a human version of the covid virus that yeah. she has yeah you know and it's all out there let me tell you let me tell you like i'm i'm yeah no if I mean, we ever want to talk about shape of water i've got like a whole list of recommendations of romance novels for you wow so like just it that, all exists that and the milking farm <laughs> book are both ones that i'm going to be like things in the zeitgeist that i will be skipping i think this okay, is like but not that the milking skipping. farm one. I don't think you'll like, but she has a <laughs> sequel. She has a sequel that uh, is about two, like three fair elf girls that go to an orc nudist colony for a weekend <laughs> and like Whoa. hook up with these different bad boy orcs. And yes, so you think of an I'm orc saying. nudist colony because that like presumes <laughs> that the default orc is closed. <laughs> Like, I oh, kind well, of assume like, orcs are nude. These, I, I mean, you would think, but this is more of like a, a modern, contemporary, ah. like, fantasy society where like, everybody right. has that. Yeah, like, the, the milking book. I love that poor Amanda's dying over there. But, like, the first book is about, like, a, a corporation yeah. has developed, like, essentially a Viagra-type pill for the, humans, mm -hmm. but they use... Minotaur bull... Semen. semen apparently, <laughs> so this girl apparently 24 ounces is how much they 
Yeah, and in his... one session, yeah. yeah. And this girl gets a job in this facility, this milking <laughs> facility. And the whole love story is that one of the clients that she said, like, they have this really fluffy, very sweet, slow burn romance, even though she's literally ejaculating him, like, every time they meet. It is so Okay, so she's, she's falling for one of the milking Minotaurs. Lines. Minotaurs, yes. Wow. Wow, right? Like and <laughs> I mean like it's it sounds ridic- ridiculous but it also has like a interesting commentary on uh like uh classism because part of the reasons minotaurs do this is they they they're economically depressed and right. so this is how they are able to like afford things like cars and houses and stuff and it's fascinating. Anyway, <laughs> that was a detour that we can edit. Out, no, but- <laughs> no, this Jason. No, this is important context. I refuse to let this be edited out. Yeah, this feels like something Newton would read. Yeah, like, exactly. Newton would, yeah, Newton, Newton would, would totally, totally be into Newton this. Newton is one hundred percent reading like kaiju human slash. Like, oh, yeah. excuse me, Guillermo del Toro would probably make the movie version of the Milking Farm book. Let's right, be real. Right? Like, let's be honest. And like, like that's, you know, yeah. and looking at the like hand implement things that Jaegers have, like mm-hmm. that's actually probably the erotic oh! that he's reading is, you know, Jaeger yeah. on Kaiju erotica. Yeah. Oh, oh no, that's for sure. You're 100% right. You're 100% right. Yeah, there's that definitely like happening. there's something and there's something too that like you can easily access you can easily access like an erotic faction of drifting with a kaiju. Like there you could easily like it becomes like a demolition man. You wear the oh, tree, yeah. Oh yeah. Like Oh yeah, and I was trying wanna... to behave myself and not say, "Oh my god, you know that Mako and Ra- and Raleigh are going to have great sex." Yeah, like, like that's gonna know. be very good sex. <laughs> Don't wanna. I was trying to be. I was trying to be the mature adult who only brings up the Minotaur bull mil- milking. Yeah, you were. Yeah, but you were trying to be professional here. I was trying to. I mean, also, I just will say, watching the Jaeger, I have never wanted to fuck a robot. Let's just put that out there, <laughs> right? Like, but watching. Let's just say that. But watching the Jaeger sexily drag a shipping a a ship. Down Ye- the street. That Jaeger <laughs> had the winter soldier swag. It was like, well, yes. let me tell you. Yes. Yes. And that we was get an swagger. ass was it steps over mm-hmm. the camera and we get an ass walking mm-hmm. away with the hip. Yeah. With no, the absolutely. <laughs> no, I have like that was the sex. This feels the very related a Amanda, robot to your has affection for baseball players. This this feels connected. It was probably I mean, like it, similarly, if I watched an adult man walk down the like if I watched Charlie Hunnam walk down the middle of Hong Kong dragging a baseball bat about to hit a kaiju in the face with it, yeah, I would also be into it. You're right. That's a very thank you, Jordan, for for using our neural handshake to know yeah, what my, yeah. my specific interests are. But just the casual confidence with yeah. which that is casual robot confidence. walked and dragged that boat was so <laughs> fucking hot. It's true. Oh yeah, and then grabbing the shipping containers mm-hmm. and using them like brass knuckles to punch yes! the kaiju in the face too. Yeah. I mean, if there's if like if there's one thing we know Guillermo del Toro knows how to do, it's eroticize non-human a- a- objects like oh, vessels. Yes. Like Hellboy is sexy. Yeah, do, Hellboy is sexy. Hellboy two, the elves. Yeah, 
honestly, <laughs> the L, the fish man, like he, oh, fish this man. is what he does. This is what the man does. I just, I know all I can imagine is him and this, like going to the CGI to like the, the special effects team being like, yes, no, this is good, but can you make the robot sexier? And yeah. they're like, he's like, no, just we need more more big dick energy from the robot. Yeah. And everyone's like, ah, yes, we understand now. There is actual, you said in an yeah. interview that he actually ha- like took images when they were developing the fish mm-hmm. guy for uh, Shape of Water to his wife to go like, is this good enough? And they, they worked on the mouth. The mouth was the key to making him look yeah. sexier. Wow. <laughs> and then that is, I gotta, in- like, what a job. Being Guillermo del Toro's wife must be a lot of work just to be like constantly bouncing. I'm like, not just that you're constantly having me like, Oh my God. Yeah, honey, no, you're a genius. And I understand that. But like also <laughs> having to constantly be like, yeah, no, I guess the guy with the eye hands, like, yeah, he's creepy as hell. Yes. I would fuck him. You're right, honey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move you, on to the next made monster. Your point. You made your point. Let's move on to the next monster. Would I fuck this one? Uh, no. Why not? <laughs> like the why, couple's why therapy is specific between the two of them is specifically them at couples therapy with the, the, with Guillermo being like, I just feel like she doesn't want to fuck all of the monsters I make. Right. Yeah. And they're all in their own way, like my surrogates. So I take mm-hmm. it personally and well, I take see- that personally. I feel like the really uncomfortable position would be be Doug Jones. Like, so oh. what do you want me to dress up about this time? Like, yeah, yeah. What have you been thinking about your whole life? This is really tight in the bottom <laughs> yeah. ass area. Like, is there like a reason we and need Doug to see Jones, my butt? But, like, Doug Jones is like sweetest, gentlest man <laughs> that ever was. Absolutely. And, and I think it's also fine. like like I think also like like faith oriented, like he's just very like pure good person. Yeah. Well, the Lord <laughs> wants him to make us want to fuck all the different monsters. It's true. It's true. Sex it's symbol, true. sex symbol, Doug Jones. Oh uh, amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do we feel? Do what 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 reality aspects of this do we feel like are untapped for us still? Or do we feel like we have have done our job on that? I just want to say how much I love the butt brain. Just to clarify, oh, dinosaurs, yeah. dinosaurs did yes. not have two brains. That is not a thing at all. Okay. When Thank you okay. for dinosaur yeah. I was wondering about that. Not real. That was like, so there was a, a hypothesis that dinosaurs, like sauropods were too big. So the long neck ones and stuff were too big to be controlled just by the one brain. So there had to be like a second ancillary brain. And then they misinterpreted in a stegosaurus. Um, there was like, down around the pelvis, there was a cavity and they misinterpreted what that is. But modern birds have something very similar as well. And it's filled hmm. with a fluid and they're not entirely sure what the fluid is for. Um, but they think it has to do with like navigation and, and flight. Oh, so oh. they don't. Oh, so, okay. Or something like something along those lines <laughs> or like or, or balancing sort of thing. So kind it's not like a brain. Situation. Yeah. So it's not a brain. It doesn't function as a brain. There is no brain material. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was definitely like a a myth that exists about dinosaurs. But I love that the kaiju have a second brain. Like, I think that's such a cool, like, yes, they should. They absolutely should. (laughs) Well, and I thought of it like a brain versus a brain stem. Yeah. Interesting. So like that one part, like, because the brain stem can still 
conduct a lot of different functions without the the main mm-hmm. brain having to be involved. So that's that's how I justified it in my mind of like, oh, well, yeah, it's a secondary brain. Uh, yeah. But I liked how it also mirrored the Jaegers of the dual. The dual hemisphere. Like that, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, dual hemisphere as well. Like, so. Yeah. Not it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That the, the two brain thing. Like, I, I think that the care, the monster design for this is so fucking cool and so it's smart. It's so cool and so yeah. not. And so, and I think that too is a, I think, I, I do think that is like a, a difficult thing for American audiences. Like we don't have a ton of imagination around monsters. Mm-hmm. Like just like based on like, based on sort of what of international filmmakers and creators produce compared to like what you see out yeah. of creators here in the States. Like there is such a creativity to these monsters. And I think a sort of unconventionalist compared to what we consider popularly as a monster here that I think it was, I think it kind of, weirded people out but the monsters in this are so and one of them is called fucking knife head like yeah. yes yes knife that's heads. awesome i love but, that each monster has a name yes <laughs> i know and i like how you can see like the hints of like uh earthbound animal dna like mm-hmm. one of them definitely mm-hmm. has the gait of an ape um, yeah. Knife head oh, yeah, kind of really seems to be influenced by sharks, possibly yeah. with the way that it's snout comes out. So each one of them, I mean, some of them absolutely look very alien, but like um, I, I do, I you get a sense from like the little bits of exposition we get from Newton about the biology that they're kind of a mix up soup of different things that you kind of get that feeling from them as well, which I like. While yeah. them also looking unlike any type of um, monster, you know they. None of them can be mistaken for Godzilla, which I felt was like yes. the big yes. bit. Completely. I that's I think fundamental. Yeah. And I love that they found a way to keep like the fact that these are basically these are all clones where they're trying to make that basic they're clones and w- whatever is sending them is trying to find is trying to exterminate Earth. I love that that gave us the wiggle room of they don't all they're not all the same that they're trying and it's re yeah. that they're restructuring and they're trying again. It's basically like it's just trying to find to the hole in the wall of, yeah. okay, what iteration of this monster is going to be sufficient to take down humans. Mm-hmm. So I think that was just like incredibly smart, really clever when the Kaiju, when the, when the one that they're fighting, I don't know if it's leather, if it's leatherback or what, but sprouts wings and flies to the yes. upper atmosphere yes! was so unexpected. Yeah. Love that. Just, yes, that is not what that was not a rule we had been given we had not been told that they can fly and then that they can was so cool and was that moment i was like oh this is this is king of the monsters but on crack i love this <laughs> also the hand swords oh the hand like, swords. there is whenever a hand like an uh, unknown hidden sword appears <laughs> from anything i am there i am screaming i, I worked it. at wired yeah. at the time when this movie came out and i remember part of the culture team going to see it at like a screening together mm-hmm. and then them coming into the office the next day and the amount of times that they would just randomly say sword throughout the day after that <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> It was so cool. I mean, like I, I, and the way that it just sort of like is malleable and then just snaps into place, just cool as hell. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I believe it was, I think it was Laura Hudson who described it first uh, when we were there as the citizen Kane of robots fighting kaiju movies. And so far I have yet to see that. I've yet to see that disproven and I've yet to see it topped. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it, it, it is, they 
there, it is for I, I always forget the name of this movie and I just call it Rock'em Sock'em Robots a lot. <laughs> like in my head, that's what the name of this movie is, but not in a derogatory way. Uh-huh. Just in like a yes, it's robots kicking ass. Robots kicking ass. It's robots so kicking, kicking ass. ass. Yeah. And they're just throwing punches. Like I my only my only robot related complaint is I want to see I wanted to see Crimson Typhoon more because I think that watching a six armed robot that would was be, it, it was a bummer to not get to see yeah. that robot do more six armed robot with like chainsaw arms would have been awesome. It's like just run saying. by it's run by triplets, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Run by the triplets. Run by the triplets. <laughs> One more thing. Reality index wise fully believed after um, Hannibal gets eaten and Charlie Day is just holding the giant shoe. Yeah. <laughs> and if there's and it's still one making thing, the little ching, ching, ching sound yeah, as he holds it. As he holds it. And if there's one thing I fully believe, it's that that man has a shoe that is half the length of Charlie Day's entire body. Ron, oh, absolutely. Oh, Ron absolutely. Perlman, no, no 100% his foot is like half of the body span of, of Charlie. He is, Ron Perlman is a perfect actor. Ron Perlman yes. has never been put in a place where you were like, I want Ron Perlman and not done exactly what was called for. Yeah. Like I love Ron Perlman. I find him to be very handsome. I love that his, his handle on Twitter is Pearl mutations. Yeah. Like, come on this guy. Like the fact that the, the beautiful union between Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro and Doug Jones and Guillermo del Toro is if we didn't have other evidence, I'd be like, Oh, so Guillermo del Toro is one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. If I had no other evidence and you just told me those two things, I would be like, Oh yeah, well, obviously this guy knows something that other people don't. I just, I'm so happy to see him every time he comes up in something he can, he can be a leading man who doesn't say a fucking word in a movie like the city of last children City of Lost Children, or he can be as someone who is extravagant like Hannibal Chow, or he can be fucking Hellboy and covered in red prosthetics. Like, I just, yeah, I'm so happy to see even you, Charlie Hunnam, each of the people in this movie as they pass the screen and pass through the screen in front of me. I'm just, what a, what a wonderful assemblage of casting. Yeah. I had no question in my mind that Hannibal Chow, the minute that he figured that he knew everything there is to know about the biology of Kaiju and that the minute that Charlie was like, that Newton was like, I drifted with a kaiju, he put all of the pieces together and then exposited what Charlie had fucked up. Right. And yeah. I love the the honor that the person who runs a black, first off, the person that runs the black market yeah. would be known to the guy in mm-hmm. charge of the, the Jaeger program. But then also that he would have a better understanding of kaiju biology and then <laughs> yeah. the scientist who... Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> completely. Loved all of that, and just and 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 I don't know. And if it had been almost anyone else, I might not have believed it. But when Ron Perlman delivers that dialogue with the like casual confidence, he always reminds me. And it, it's a little bit because of the hair, but it's a lot because of the like casual, disdainful confidence that he has of <laughs> um, of uh, oh God, I can't believe now I'm blanking on his name. I just keep thinking this, but now I'm blanking on it. Um, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, I hear you. Yes. Like, I hear you. Ron Perlman has huge Anthony Bourdain vibes to me and a lot he of- He also could, like, physically looks like he could be Anthony they, Bourdain's, like, cousin. Yeah, no, they look they look very similar. And in particular, as he's playing Hannibal with this sort of, like, confident swagger and knowledge so of the underworld. And I'm just like, yeah, that's- He's the Anthony Bourdain of Kaiju. 
He has eaten he, every part of the kaiju. In I a sci-fi universe, that. Anthony Bourdain would have been running like a black market of some yeah. kind. Like he would have been oh, yeah. the like the idea of Anthony Bourdain as like alt world kingpin in yeah. futuristic sci-fi universe. Like that makes total sense. That that's that's like a one to one. Yeah. So I I was very I was very bummed that we lost him yeah. as a character. I feel like that in a movie that doesn't have that has almost no body count of like yeah, of our heroes of our heroes yeah like we do i mean at the end yes we get we we lose we lose um at pentecost and we lose shitty australian son Chuck. yeah <laughs> but like <laughs> for the most part it's got a really it's fairly bloodless and so to lose of all of them fucking hannibal i was so but bummed. did you not see the post credit scene no i missed it Oh my god, that's right. I didn't watch oh, it this time. He emerges from oh, he does. The, the fetus going, where the hell is my show? That's right. That's, that's right. amazing. I forgot to watch it this time. I oh. forgot about that. My so my my terrible iTunes rental lost audio and got choppy for the last 30 minutes of the movie or 20 oh, minutes no. of the movie. I know I was really annoyed. So once it was done, I was like, there might be a post-credit sequence, but I don't think there is. I'm just gonna shut this off and try and figure out how to file a complaint with Apple. It's Hannibal Chow. Oh, I'm so glad well, there he we lives. go. No, it's a gift I got to give to you. He is alive, <laughs> he is okay. He's just upset about his shoe. Oh, I'm so relieved. Yeah, that would make sense because like as long as it doesn't have teeth, it's not like it's gonna digest him. Right, yeah. Right, and like it's dead. So like, it's yeah. in, and it said that they immediately start breaking <laughs> down as soon as they die. Right. Oh, I'm so relieved that he gets to live and then menace and and menace the kaiju. Now, do we feel like we're ready to to proceed to what this movie was really about? Yes, I think so. Which means it's a word beforehand from another group of people who also truly love this movie. Yeah, the folks. Do you love movies? The good ones. Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like. It sounds like Super Yaki might be the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts saluting the brave of us who go to the movies by themselves, to comfy sweatshirts and aprons commemorating historic events like the night Florence Pugh made marmalade. They even carry enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Hayao Miyazaki and... Guillermo del Toro. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to your favorite movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code DISASTERDIVA, all caps, no spaces, DISASTERDIVA, at checkout. And so if the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. They have uh, some Keanu Reeves merch right now. They have, uh, there's a new embroidered shirt that I believe says, I've never seen a movie. Yes. Uh, For those of us, for any person, meaning every person who's ever been, uh, had someone express ridiculous amounts of shock that you've never seen that movie. (laughs) Get yourself an I've never seen a movie shirt. Um, And you know, Paddington Fair, Rocketeer Fair. I think there's some restocks of the Space Wizards Ryan Johnson shirt. So there are, yeah. Plenty of goodies out there, guys. Plenty of goodies. <laughs> All right. So I guess that takes us to what this movie is really about. And yes. Jean, let's start with you. Yeah. What is this movie really about? I mean, I, you know, in, 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 I don't think it's subtle. 
<laughs> I, I think quite literally the the uh, where the kaijus come from is called the breach. And uh-huh, the entire movie is uh-huh. about sealing a breach. And I think that's that's the underlying idea of all of it um, is is healing is coming together to heal. Uh, and uh, and like I said, definitely like, um, you know, personally, it's like almost kind of a um, a opposite of World War Two of where you have all these nations coming together to help um, a Japanese girl, you know, uh, kind of repair and heal from Mm -hmm. a great damage that was done to her and her people. So, um, yeah. And then also, you know, fighting with robots and (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, what do you think? Um, you know, I think this movie is, I, I, I think that kind of building off the concept of the breach, I, I think that this is a movie about, it's sort of an anti-imperialism, the idea that none mm. of us can do this alone. Um, whether that's, you know, this is a movie that despite the fact that yes, you have very distinctly like exoticized Jaeger names for different yes. robots. There's not like, you don't have, it's not a particularly jingoistic, like nationalistic film. Mm-hmm. There isn't like a big American flag up the leg of. Yeah. There's not a, there's not a like lady a raw nationalism yeah. from sort of any place. Yeah. And so the fact that it's consistently got to be done by two, by two people, the fact, and like doing it on your own, it never makes, we're never given the sense that Raleigh is exceptional for being able to pilot it on its own. And therefore he should be praised. It's yeah. holy shit. You didn't die. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> um, but you should be doing, and, and there's never a feeling of him being, like, he's never insistent. Like I need to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. This is a movie about how you can't save the world on your own mm-hmm. and how yes. the world, like not just that you can, but the world cannot be saved by one person, by one nation. It does need to be, it needs to be through a collaboration and through compassion. This is a movie deeply about compassion. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I truly, I think this is a movie about the fact that the world can't be saved by one person or one by one nation. And the world can't be saved without, uh, without heart, without, without understanding the experiences and lived, lived tragedies of the people around us. And, uh, I think that is, yeah. I think that is a great point because in order, in order to be world savers, these people have to expose themselves to mm-hmm. an un, unprecedented act of vulnerability. Yeah. Like inviting someone into their minds and memories and in order to be the like big cock of the walk, fuck yeah, beat the shit out of monsters person, you have to be engaged in the most intimate possible connection with another human being to do it. Yeah, that's a great point, Amanda. Yeah, there's there. Thank well, you. There's a there's a worse movie version of this out there in which <laughs> Raleigh's the main character and his arc is I don't want to you know I don't need to let anybody in and his yeah. arc is that he finally. The, the climax is when he finally in it successfully initiates the neural handshake with Mako. He becomes the, well, or that he becomes yeah. the first person ever yeah. to like not need a partner in the Jaeger. Exactly. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Raleigh, Raleigh's the one man on earth who can, can pilot a Jaeger alone. Yes. And everyone's like, wow. He's using how- his two brains, his main brain and his dick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, but, but this, like, yeah. okay. Oh, to back you up with that too, when you, when you look at the plot points, 
they actually don't achieve the actual ceiling of the breach without every single main character yeah. doing their part. Like they yeah. had to listen to the scientists mm-hmm. and they had to do their thing. Mm-hmm. And then Stacker and Chuck had to blow themselves up to clear the way. Yep. Like each one of them had to do it and they couldn't have done it alone. And actually Raleigh is a really good deconstruction or like a, a subversion <laughs> of the rogue, yeah. you know, lone hero. Yeah. Of like, <laughs> um, you know, taking that all apart and that his whole, you know, redemption or not redemption, but his coming around is being a supporter. Yeah. There's, there's an alt again, alternate universe in which it's basically the Oscar Isaacs character from, from star Wars of like, like that's the alternative version of him fighting, you know, in last Jedi, him fighting with Laura Dern that like, no, we're going to, you know, I can do this on my own. And again, in you know with the the nuanced hand of a director who understands how destructive that concept can be mm-hmm. that is proven wrong and Laura Dern is proven right because Laura Dern's always right yeah because Laura Dern's gonna be right Laura always Dern's right be right but like um, yeah. there is there like in the same way that there's an alternate universe in which um Poe is the right is the one who is right and was proven right all along which is what the fanboys wanted yeah likewise there is yeah there's a movie where this is this is not the the moral of the story is not Mako should Mako is is a necessary piece here. Yeah, and yeah. In fact, he even said, "I love his line about when you know when she when he sends her up mm-hmm. um, out of the Jaeger. He says, you, you know, we've done it. Uh, it's okay. All I have to do is fall, and anybody can fall. Yeah, <laughs> it's truly like you're. That's you're so right. There's such a he removes the exceptionalism from himself in that moment, which is just so fucking good. That's nice. good. That is, that's really nice. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, he's definitely <laughs> up there in the list of, like, feminist boyfriend Raleigh. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, you did. You go take a nap. I'll do this really easy part. It's fine. I'll clean up the mess. Yeah, I'm no yeah. hero. Anybody could do this. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and I, 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 for me, this movie, this movie is about the essential, essentialness and the, the power of like non, not necessarily or non-romantic relationships. Yeah. Like the idea that the sort of the way our society structures, like the romantic relationship, like the monogamous significant other partnership to be the sort of end all be all pinnacle of how we relate to and connect to people and sort of other things are sort of subordinated to it. They are the quote unquote significant other. And therefore everything else is implicitly less significant. Everything else is sort of a gradation down from like your sexual intimate partnership. And that this movie mean like it it can be a lover or a sibling a parent Mm -hmm. like you can join in this union that is so like like we were talking about before like just like the the most vulnerable intimate act you could connect with a person in the into like you could be inside their minds and I like the idea of putting the sort of pride of placement on forging those bonds with people to, like you said, Amanda, to be the ones who save the world, to be the ones who make the greatest sacrifice, the ones who take the greatest risk, the ones who who take the greatest chances are the people who are willing to put themselves on the line in these ways that don't have anything to do with sexual contact necessarily when that's so often how we designate what the most important relationship in a hierarchy is like. And for somebody for whom that is not the case in my own life, 
I find that to be a really heartening thing to see. And it helped like the fact that we don't do the kiss at the end and just force that and be like, oh yeah, well now their connection is valid because they're going to kiss each other at the end. They have already done so much the hard work of building a connection between one another by saving the world and existing in each other's brains that like a kiss is a cool thing to do, but it, it is not the culmination of this dynamic that exists because they've already gone like they've already boldly gone where few have ever gone before. And so I really like that aspect of it. And that to me is what Pacific Rim is about. Nice. Yeah. A strong relation in, you know, strong relationships build a stronger community. Yes. Yeah. As, yeah. as, as, as Mika told us, Mika McKinnon on our San Andreas episodes, the best disaster preparedness you can do community building. Yeah, that's Amen. the best way you can yes. prepare for the it, cascading and inevitable disasters we are all facing is a good, strong community around you. You can have you need your your survival kit of of resources, but you need a good community around you to be accountable for and for them to be accountable to you. So that brings us <laughs> to dream casting. All right. And Jean, you said you had you've had some ideas over there. Yes, let me get my paper ready. <laughs> my notes. Yes, because well, I'm Pacifica. Um, and so I I feel like there is a lack of Pacifica representation in a right. movie called Pacific Rim. Um, <laughs> acutely you know, that, yes. Acutely that. But um, so like I keep Mako Japanese representation mm-hmm. very important important. Uh Stacker, Pentecost, I Idris Alba. Like, of course. Right. Yeah. I'm, they, like, I'll they, make an exception for him. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, just to be like one thing I didn't to objectify was specifically how amazing he looks. Like, I feel like that when they designed the Jaeger pilot costumes, they were like, okay, we need to fuck everyone else. We just need to design this to really emphasize how broad Idris's shoulders are and how narrow his hips are. <laughs> and the uniform too, like all of it was yeah. just they Perfect. everything in that world was existing solely to show off, showcase what a what a specimen of a man he is. <laughs> yeah, so keeping Idris, Sorry, keeping yeah. Ringo. Um, uh, before I get to the Raleigh casting, so because we only have one black character, I figured I would do a a, a fun kind of twist on it and have. Hercules Hansen be played by Dwayne the Rock Johnson, oh who is God. Samoan and black. Woo! Yes. So we get two <laughs> black men in a Woo! movie. Yes. <laughs> and then, then I throw a curveball because Chuck Hansen, I would have uh be played by Frankie Adams, who is Samoan and is mm-hmm. a woman. You've known her from Frankie the J. Adams from the Expanse. Yeah. Yes. Oh my yes. God. I and love I would it. change the whole <laughs> dynamic of like that her issue with Raleigh is that she doesn't think he's good enough to pair up with Mako. Oh, yeah, and that yeah. that whole in that whole moment, like dialogue could stay the same, but she'd be calling <laughs> him a bitch and Mako would lay her out. Yes. Frankie Adams could that, kick that is a Hunnam's ass because Frankie Adams could kick anyone's ass. Right. Well, and I I feel like like I would have liked it actually, like, you know, where it was actually Mako that lays her out 
Oh, a hundred percent. That would be, be, that would be foreplay for Mako and Frankie. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like, no, I want to, I want to see them fight, and then you know, the only thing wrong with the Expanse is I want more Bobby. That's the right? only thing wrong right? with the Expanse. That, and, that, and I'm like, you know, then you get the, you get another dad daughter dynamic mm-hmm. yeah. as well, yeah. and um, you know, I could take it either way, where where the the where the daughter gets injured and can't fight and so it's the two dads that go down yes. or you know or that the daughter that but like i also like that whole like my son you're taking with you <laughs> that yeah, whole yeah. moment i'm like yeah that was pushed really hard and i would have i would have liked to have that between a, a you know a, mm. a, a father and a daughter um, and especially because I, I feel like, you know, we needed more goofiness amongst the dudely dudes that, yeah. uh, that, that the rock really had, like Dwayne has that ability to both be the guy that's like time to take care of business and punch somebody through a brick wall, but also <laughs> say lines like it's time for daddy to go to work. You <laughs> would delight in saying that line. <laughs> How does he not say that in every movie? And then there that would be the most there would be distilled the rock line ever. There would need to then be a joke about how much room he needs in his Jaeger suit for his giant penis. Yeah, exactly. Like, gotta have that. Now, that would be the that that he actually doesn't need somebody else because he would just drift with his own penis to yeah. really <laughs> That would be the joke. That would be the moment to do that. Yeah, joke. like, it's true. Like, the rock's character would be the only person on earth to not need a partner to drift, and it wouldn't be a cool thing about him. People no. would just be like, no, he's so fucking difficult and out like of his nobody mind. wants to do it. Though. Yeah, <laughs> it's not aspirational. No one's like, it, no one wants to be that. They're just like, look, that's his deal. And look at the size <laughs> of him. Like, I don't. He has to eat 70 pounds of cod a day just yeah. to do this. <laughs> you don't want to drift on your own. Yeah, we can the only amount- feed one Jaeger pilot in that <laughs> suit and it's him. Like, right? we've only and got that- the budget to feed one pilot in that Jaeger. So. And you'd need, you'd need to have the daughter that literally he can't tell her shit. Yeah. Right, yeah. To be the one to like get in his face. Yes. hundred percent. I also love, because I would have to make it queer with Frankie Adams because she's perfect. But like, I, it would have to be that like, she was, she was, she was sparring with Raleigh specifically because she's like sweet on Mako. Maybe she's Mako's girlfriend. And she's like pissed that someone's drifting with her girlfriend because it's not her. And she's like, well, that's a fucking bridge too far. So it's like that kind of rivalry. Oh no, absolutely. That casting was absolutely, I'm like, I'm fine if we play either like, you know, romantic rivals. Cause that's definitely not a thing that's happening in that with, with uh, Chuck. No, but I'm like, but no. that definitely has to happen if Frankie's there. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, hello. 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 Who would not? <laughs> Who among us? Um, you know, but um, yeah, okay. So then, so Raleigh, uh, more Pacific, you know, mm-hmm. represented because we already already got a Brit, so we don't need Charlie. Although I like him. Yeah, um, yeah. This is where I would have Chris Hemsworth. Oh, oh yeah, I couldn't and turn then, it down. Yeah. Poor Liam would be the one to get canned, but yeah. you know, that's fine. <laughs> then you could actually yeah, have two brothers. Yeah. 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 He can be and, Yancey. Can and then you Yancey. have like you could have you know uh Raleigh be a, you know have that big brother issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely, completely. Oh I, god. I very much do feel like Charlie Hunnam happened specifically because Chris was unavailable with with Thor. Like that <laughs> yeah. 
that was the casting. Fair. That was a casting choice. So yes, G- yes, I would love to see Chris Hemsworth tenderly staring at Mako. <laughs> and especially because so I am a sucker for height difference. Oh yeah, Ooh. sexual height differences. Sexual, sexual height differences. Differences. Essential. I love I love these updates. Yes, I love this these is updates. Great. Okay, casting. now here's the real big. Mm-hmm. I would cast Jermaine Clement as Newton. <gasps> okay. Uh-huh. And then oh, you know, as his work. heterosexual life mate would be Taika Waititi because I yeah. would want the Maui representation as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they would, and I would want them to play them almost specifically as their characters of what we do in the shadows. Okay. Okay. But like, so it's a completely different versions of those characters, but that yeah. same kind of, you know, opposite dynamic weirdness eccentric scientist situation they'd be bunsen and beaker yes (laughs) yes Yes. and then here's the twist now while i would love i would live for the idea of scenes between jermaine clement and ron perlman and why we don't have that on screen now i don't know (laughs) oh my god but i also like the idea of Hannibal Chow turning out to be two different people who work together. Okay. Yeah. One of, because uh, there's a uh, Chow is Chinese, but there's also a Vietnamese version of the name. Sure. And I would have that be K- Kelly Marie Tran. <gasps> and then Han- so Chow would be Why Ke- Kelly Marie Tran. Yes. And then Hannibal would be played by Dante Bosco, also knows Rufio from, <laughs> from like, and how, because Filipino and Vietnamese representation for the Pacific as well. Oh. And would be like, you know, have them play as, you know, husband and wife or cousins or just business right, partners. Yeah. Very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I really want Kelly Marie Tran and some kind of just bejeweled like decadence with like elbow length black gloves doing yeah, she's the living full... the luxe life as a yeah. as a black market king pit. exactly oh, I, I'm, I'm imagining the entirety of uh kate blanchett's wardrobe from oceans eight <laughs> exactly <laughs> like i Except want Kel- also with jewels well yeah yeah, yeah like jewel encrusted yeah dripping. but like also she's wearing an amazing jewel encrusted necklace that has like one kaiju fin like like a kaiju claw into this big wraparound necklace and then in one scene she's just wearing her red carpet look from raya and the last dragon hell yeah like (laughs) just has that right yes that's like how we meet her (laughs) all right amanda honestly like my thing was just that would is a script remake like i wouldn't the only casting changes i would make to this is i might now having been inspired by Jean's art behind her, um, I might move Idris into, even though there's an age difference, might move Idris into the role of Raleigh. Oh, okay. Ooh. Just because I can't lose him. He's <laughs> like, you can't. You but can't Edward have... James almost is such a good idea. Ed- Edward James so almost. So say we all. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. say we all. God damn right. Like, he becomes he becomes Pentecost and you definitely get a little more paternalism to the character, but you get a stoicism to him. Oh, and like, I want to see him go toe to toe with everybody in this cast. I think it would be fun. <laughs> and, and Idris can play cocky. He can yeah. play that oh, yeah. cocky guy yeah. that kind of needs to be like put in his place. And yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. And so, and of course, because we're remaking this, because the studio is coming to me and being like, we're going to remake this film. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, we can totally, but this is Mako's story. So all the things that we've talked about, 
all of that becomes. And like when we meet, when we meet Raleigh, it's not as he gets that, he gets that umbrella reveal kind of thing. (laughs) And we hear like, oh, he's the one who died in the, whose brother died in the drift. Like he becomes, he's been this like sort of legendary recluse who's been pulled back out. He's the sad backstory guy. Yeah. But he's not the hero. So we get all of Mako's stuff. And honestly, I'm like, that was all I had going into this because it's so good. Yeah. But all of Jean's casting now, I'm like, yeah. So we do all of this plot wise, what I'm saying, but with Jean's cast. <laughs> I love and, the cast. And to add to your plot, like yeah. that it's Mako. He mm-hmm. has sworn off Jaegers and it's yeah. Mako that's been pushing to get him. And yeah. then the only way he agrees is if she co-pilots with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and that's and and again, that's with that. And you get you still get that great fight sequence, sexy sword fight sequence. Like you get all of it. Oh yes. But it's Mako is and it's Mako as she is. Like this is not good. We're not getting a cool badass. Like I don't want this to turn her into a girl right. boss. <laughs> yeah, girl, sort girl of. boss. Yeah, like character Eliza Dushku. No offense, Eliza Dushku, but that Josh Whedon would write for Eliza Dushku kind of badass right, character. Right, right. Like yeah, it's not her still. Fault. No, this is still a kind, str- like kind, angry woman. Yeah. And I just want that so bad. Yeah. And I'd like, you know, the movie could have used more of it and definitely mm-hmm. more women. But I do like that her her capability is never really challenged. Yeah. yeah. We don't get any of the guys coming in being like little girl or any yeah, of those. Yeah, this is not about Mako is- proving she deserves to be here. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, that again would hold same with the movie too, where it's like with, with this, with, with the remake would be, it's not that she's trying to prove that she, her worth, it's not trying to prove that she can pilot just as well as the rest of them. It's the same conflict. It's just that we don't have to waste as much time on Raleigh and we get to really have Mako. So Jor, what about you? I, I'm going with that. I want to keep, I'm just keeping all of these choices. This is all so good. And I'm just going to add a Jaeger because Edward James almost has been introduced in the conversation. I was going to add a Jaeger. That's just Katie Sackhoff and Trisha Helfer for fun. Sure. Being the most reckless, wild eyed, crazy bitches, Jaeger pilots. You can imagine just for color. Yeah. Just Amen. for color. Because I just want those two and a Jaeger. rad women, motorcycle riding best friends to be in the drift together Maybe they're girlfriends. Maybe they're not. But they're just definitely life partners. Jordan, can I make the suggestion that we're replacing the Hercules and his son with them? Yeah, we can get, yeah. Because I think that that would be, like, the two of them with that swagger being pissed off that, like, (laughs) this this dipshit is going to be, like, he can't pilot a Jaeger. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I think we should, we substitute out the, like, father son with the with the son who's kind of got a chip on his shoulder dynamic that we've seen before and put in motorcycle lesbians yeah because like they're basically like their whole deal is like they're really good at this but they also really want to do it because they're just like adventure junkies and they're like ready to die any day now like they're throwing themselves into the breach because they're like, fuck it, go big. Like, yeah. that's that's their whole deal. And yes. just so we can see Trisha Helfer and Katie Sackhoff being awesome together. Absolutely. Oh. I mean, and they could have also been, they could have also been the Ivan Drago blonde Russians, honestly. Yeah. Like, those <laughs> there you go. And their their Jaegers just film in Louise handhold as they blow. There you go. And their Jaegers just fully called Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> It's just 
called Battlestar Galactica. I mean, it's either that or bad bitch. It's one of the two. I'll take either. Well, now then, uh, yeah, that gives us towering towering infernos. Yep. I'm going to start. It's, it's five. This is five full burning buildings for me. I I fucking love Pacific Rim. Jean, where are you going? Five. Although I did want to add an aspect of that. I felt, I feel that there is a genre of disaster movies that has like where it's focus is less the disaster and more about the relationship specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, It's like a Titanic. Yeah, and I would say this is five Titanics as well. Okay, or okay. it is much is much a bonus about rating. the yeah, uh, uh, as much about the relationships and the emotions as it is about the explosions and disaster. All right, all right, it gets five Titanics and five Towering Infernos. Wow, if you had one Titanic, you could put out the Towering Inferno. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to go a little bit lower than That's fair. I'm going to rush and judge this. Um, I'm going to go with the 4.5 only because considering you had to come around to it, yeah, that is a pretty fucking yeah, no, yeah. It, it's, it's, still, yeah, it's still not my favorite. It's not my favorite monsters movie um, and it's not my favorite disaster movie, but man, it does everything it's trying to do so well. Yeah. And it just loses that half point because of the fact that it does feel like there's a different movie here that Guillermo del Toro wanted to make. Right. And is a more interesting movie than what we got. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's like a half point that gets deducted for what could have been. Um, But man, justice for Pacific Rim, man. (laughs) Right? Right? Well, really, it's just, just, you know, lining itself up so that you can rewrite the script for a better reboot. All right. So I've, I've got now three... I, I, I was high last night and came up with an idea for another disaster movie. So I've got three on deck. Yeah. So just got to win that Nichols fellowship like now slasher, so that I can three or four slasher movies, Amanda, that are just right there on the edge. So I'm okay. right there with you. Yep. I just got to win that Nichols fellowship so I can like take a month off and just force myself to sit in a cabin somewhere. Writer's and retreat. Idle while. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Like the last Angelino, you always, you were born to be. I know. I truly, this was, that is, that is the fate that I was meant to have is go up to the mountains and smoke cigarettes and drink black coffee and write my movie about the moon exploding. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we still haven't decided what our movie for next week is, but in the meantime, we're going to let you go, Jean, because you don't need to hear us dither about this. Thank so, you, Jean. Thank you so much for joining us. This thank was so nice. You. This, was a, this was wonderful. I was so happy. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. I am such a... So where can we find... Like, you have the best... Yeah. I love your Twitter account. Where can we find you? Your your breakdowns of everything, but in particular, I've loved your what-if breakdowns um, oh, that you've been doing, you. like your analysis of those have been amazing. Where can we find you? Where can we read things you write? Where can we hear your voice? Um, pretty much everywhere on the internet as Fangirl Jean, and that's Fangirl J E A N N E. Um, and yeah, like primarily I'm on Twitter. I'm just starting to stretch my legs on TikTok. It's pretty boring right now, but um, but yeah, and then fangirlgene.com that will take you to everything for my Patreon, whatnot. Um, but primarily I'm on Twitter ranting about everything and reviewing, you know, movies and TV. All right. Excellent. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have a great day and we'll have to find a reason to have you back. Oh, you you pick the movie where you're coming back. 
Okay, yeah. I will keep. I mean that that Noah's Ark shark one was tempting, but oh, no. <laughs> that's right. The first two be original. Wait, was no, that wasn't the first two be original. This was some. That was something else. Something. Yeah. Okay, I'm coming, buddy. Yeah, I gotta go. Go go go. Deal the, with the, the youth. <laughs> you Thank you. All right, Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Okay, Jean was amazing, and I'm so glad that we had her. Like, I'm so glad we made that work. And we've got another guest for next week, Jordan. Since this is a big crossover, do you want to introduce this one? Yeah, this is this 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 actually is. It does kind of it almost becomes a a pod crossover with uh I would like to think a real disaster girls MVP a, mm-hmm. a, a wonderful compliment to Amanda who I love having oh, around. He and I might actually be like neural neural handshake compatible. Yeah, you you're in the drift. With- yeah. Sam Weinman. Sam, Sam is Sam and I definitely, at least in our love of black and white cookies. <laughs> he is the only like the the other night I was eating Reese's and I couldn't figure out why I could smell chocolate after I'd finished eating them. And then I realized I had a giant melted glob of chocolate on my chest. The way and chocolate I was like fucking hides like that. I have a cowl neck sweatshirt that I have absolutely <laughs> dropped what I would consider a small piece of Snickers into and didn't know it. And then it's just getting all warm against your skin temperature. Mm -hmm. And then later on, you're like, how do I have nine chocolate bars worth of chocolate on me right now? What the fuck is this? Uh, It's chocolate's magic. But I was going to say like that is (laughs) when I had that giant chocolate stain on my chest and I was like, huh, me and Sam, huh? Because Sam, Sam notably has emerged from movie theaters with just a large chunk of chocolate on his arm. The entire back of his arm was covered in chocolate. Yeah. And he was like, kind of, when I was like, oh, you have chocolate on the back of your arm. And he was, we were exiting a movie and he was like, oh God, so me. And then, and I took a picture of it. Cause like he was such on his arm, but like you, you, it would be very hard to look at your own arm that way. So I took a picture of it and showed him he didn't. (laughs) He thought I was kind of just being that way, but no, it was like a streak that was running down the entire back of his arm. He was like, oh God, like, and realized he needed to clean his arm off before he got in the car. But it was like, no, because chocolate multiplies exponentially when it starts to melt and get on you. And the smallest piece of chocolate can turn into an entire fucking paintbrush of chocolate on your body. But the moral of the story is that Sam and I both have needed to take baths because of the amount of chocolate (laughs) that is on our bodies. (laughs) Yes. And it is. We will be watching the 2006 remake of uh, the movie Poseidon, the original of which we absolutely have. Is the original called the Poseidon Adventure? It is the Poseidon Adventure. Yes. God, that thinking about that now. What a weird name for that movie. It makes we it also, really whimsical. When we it's also not. discussed this during the Poseidon Adventure okay. episode. We were like, that is, it is not, that sounds much more fun than it actually is. Yeah, that sounds like a boat adventure on the yeah. high sea, like pirate style. Not yeah. like, not like a boat that's going to imminently go down and Shelly Winters is going to die in it. Like, yeah, not a film about the death of God. That yeah, is not the Poseidon <laughs> adventure. Find out that God is dead. Yeah, adventure, weird word for that. And yeah. but the, the the 2006 remake is just called Poseidon. Mm-hmm. And so this is a this is a crossing over of the Ots Tyrion uh, 2000s agenda and the Disaster Girls agenda. And we recently watched this at a movie night at Sam's. And I asked him if he wanted to come on. He was like, can I please? And so fortunately, I I couldn't be more excited to have Sam back again. Yeah. And this is like when we talk about casts, this is such a wonderful. This is. Oh, my God. This in terms of the feel of the cast does such a good job of mimicking the feel of the 1970s films because it's got Kurt Russell, Richard Dreyfuss, Josh Lucas, Jacinda Barrett. Demi disaster diva Emmy Rossum. <laughs> yeah. And then Andre Brower and fucking Fergie. Fer- yeah. 
And like I in the 2000, fin- give me a 2006 list. It's like throwing a bunch of actors into a game of boggle and then shaking the boggle <laughs> thingy. Yeah, and then the boggle. these are the ones who came up in the game of boggle is just like Andre Brower, Kurt Russell, Emmy Rossum and Fergie make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to give you a big fucking budget for it. Can't wait. Yeah. So that's so, what we've got next week. Yeah. Which, and it, those women with a positively 2000s amount of dialogue to each of them, which is to say, <laughs> yeah. a lot. I've which never we will seen be talking it. I'm about. very looking forward to this. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, and this is streamable. It's rentable on all of the services. So Amazon Video, Voodoo, Google Play, and iTunes. Um, it is rentable anywhere. Indeed. It is rentable. Um, so join us again for, for the next installment of the Sam Weinman files here on disaster girls. And we'll, we'll watch a ship be taken down by a rogue wave together. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, Jordan, where mm-hmm. can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J O R C R U. And uh, as, as of this moment, you can find new Ots Tyrion episodes, the A U G H T S T E R I O N Ots Tyrion pod. Even if you spell it kind of wrong, I've really cr- crushed that SEO, should still come up. And then also the single topic neon demon podcast I'm doing with Roxana Haddadi and William O. Tyler. So they're just hours of listening to me talk about uh, fun movies. Yeah. You can, I, like, I, I can, I can attest to the fact that you can spend hours just listening to Jordan's voice on the streamings. Yes, you can. And Jason, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones. Um, you can uh, find more amazing podcasts at thatmightbecool.com, such as uh, Comic Book Workshop, which has a brand new theme song by the amazing composer uh, Chris Ryan. Um, the most recent episode of which is uh, Erica Henderson, former guest of, oh, cool. of this very program. Oh, awesome. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you know, talk about comics. It's it's a, it's one of them interview shows. It's you know what? Here's and this is something people have said to me. I don't like saying this, but but if it's, yeah. if it's a quick pitch for the show, then that's what it is. Say so it's like it's like WTF, but for comic books. Oh, that's um, great. People people been saying it. And I that makes me very uncomfortable. People are but, saying People are saying. Many people are hey, saying. Let Many people say certain it. people say it, and that is—that's <laughs> a thing. Um, but it's a fun show, and I like it, and I'm very proud of it. You can also hear, you know, Lord of the Rings sentence and stuff like that. That might be cool.com. Check it out. All right, and uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Amanda Smith says, um, and that is where I always am, <laughs> just constantly and unrelentingly online. And uh, you can find us. We are disaster underscore pod on Twitter. We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com and we are, I think, disastergirls on Letterboxd. But most importantly, guys, please give us those five-star ratings and reviews. It is super helpful. So take a couple seconds, if you haven't already, to write a review, give us five stars on whatever your preferred streaming device is and share us with friends because it makes a huge difference. And you've got some lead time, but I'm going to say already, get excited for that 100th episode because we've got a plan. And it's a good one. It's going to be fun. So we've, we've <laughs> still got several weeks before that happens. Yes. The world could end between now and our 100th episode. Totally true. But theoretically. Yeah. So in the meantime, we'll see you all back next week for Poseidon. See you then, guys. Bye. 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 That might be cool.com.
you never know. <laughs>